Good morning. I invite you to turn to, if you don't have your Bibles open, please turn back to Acts chapter 24. We're going to be looking at this chapter uh, and considering what God has for us today. The uncomfortable truth that sets us free. Truth can really be uncomfortable, especially when it's something about ourselves that we really don't want to hear or to be confronted with. Howard Hendricks tells this amazing story. He told it years ago. I heard it, and I've never forgotten it. It's about a man who was very angry. He was unpleasant. He was difficult to live with, and his wife was at his wit's end, and she was pleading and pleading with him to get help. And she finally uh, said, you've got to go see this, this man I know, Howard Hendricks. Please go talk to him. Well, reluctantly, the man finally went, the husband finally went to talk with Howard Hendricks. So he went into the office. He told Howard, I really don't want to be here, but my wife wants me to be here. And so they talked a little bit about what was going on in his life. And after talking for a while, the man turned to Howard Hendricks and said, what's my problem? And Howard looked at him and replied, you're a very angry person. And with that, the man angrily stormed out of the office and didn't return. Except about a month later, he did come back into the office. He kind of stormed into the room, plopped down on a chair and said, okay, now what do I do? We all have blind spots. And it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant to have unpleasant qualities about ourselves revealed to us. And it's even harder, isn't it, when you find out the truth about ourselves to have enough <laughs> willpower to admit our problem, to swallow our pride, and then to take steps to change. Jesus said this, if you abide in my words, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, you can probably finish the line, and the truth will set you free. God's truth is powerful, and it makes us squirm with discomfort when it, when it hits us hard over who we really are and what we've really done. But if we're willing to embrace Jesus, we're willing to go to him and humbly admit that we need him, he takes hold of us and he just leads us to the truth. He sets us free from destructive paths that, that hurt ourselves, that hurt other people. Jesus takes us on this journey. It's a process it's, it, it, that's honorable. He leads us to the truth. He leads us to honoring things. He leads us to justice. He leads us to purity. He leads us to excellence. That's where he promises to take you if, you if you trust in him, if you embrace him, if you believe in him, if you make him your savior, your God. His truth sets us free, but the truth is we resist that truth. Even as his followers, we often resist it because we don't want to change. We substitute our ideas our own truths, our personal truths, our own definitions of holiness and excellence for God's. But God wants to set us free from all that. That's why Jesus came. Acts 24 is about three stories, about three men. 
and how they responded to God's truth. And maybe you can see yourself in these three different people. One of them's Ananias, the high priest. The other's Paul, the prisoner, and the other is Felix, the powerful governor of Rome. And how they all responded to God's truth. Ananias was a powerful religious leader. He was a Jew, a privileged man, but he was an enemy of God. Paul was a prisoner, but he, of the three, was the only man who had been set free because of his obedience, because of his faith, because of his swallowing his pride and humbly receiving God's truth and letting it change his life. And then there's Felix, the powerful governor of Rome, who dabbled with the truth but never embraced it, and he traded off eternity for the temporary. So let's take a quick look today at the uncomfortable truths that set us free. The first is this, an uncomfortable truth. Humanity is in bondage to evil without Christ. That might not surprise you, but we need to be reminded that that's an uncomfortable truth. Ananias' story, uh, Scott read the first 21 verses of the chapter. In verses 1 through 9, we get this, this time focused on Ananias, and we don't know a lot about him, but we do know this. He led a life of religious hypocrisy. He was a high priest. The high priest was to be a hereditary office. It was to be, the high priest was to be a descendant of the first high priest that God appointed, Aaron, Moses' brother. They were to be set apart to God. They were to reflect all of God's holiness, so they had special clothes they had to wear. They were to live near and close to the temple or to the tabernacle to serve God. They had to stay in that area. It was a privileged position. And they were to lead people to understand who the Lord was. They were to lead people to faith in God. They were lead people to understand God's holiness and their sinfulness, but to know that God would be merciful. You know, when the high priest sinned, there was this elaborate process he had to go through to, make, to cover over that sin, and it was the same process that happened once a year on the Day of Atonement for the whole nation. He had to do that if he came to God impure impurely. But as time went on in, in Jewish history, the position of high priest became politicized. They became government appointees. So when the conquerors came, either the Greeks and now in this chapter, in Acts 24, it was the Romans who appointed Ananias to be the high priest. He wasn't in the line of Aaron, but he was a political appointee, political favorites. He was a son of Annas, by the way, one of the sons of Annas, who Annas had Jesus put on trial. So it was this long line of Annas' sons or his son-in-laws who had been in the position of the high priest, and it was a time of spiritual corruption and lust for earthly power, and it's still going on now 20 or 25 years later or so since Jesus was crucified and Paul's facing him. Luke doesn't give us a lot of details, like I said, but we can surmise what kind of a person Ananias is because he agreed with the plot that the 40 men had made. We read about that last week to have Paul killed. They, they lied. They said, oh, we want to investigate him a little bit more to make the case clear. We want to know the truth. And we're on his way to the trial before uh, the Roman uh, tribune will kill him. Ananias went along with that plot. Ananias is a picture 
of Proverbs chapter 6. Maybe you, you're familiar with these, with this truth. The seven things that God hates. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I think if we look at Annas's history, just in these few chapters that we have, it's like we can check the boxes off. Jesus had an evaluation in Matthew 23. Well, it won't take time, but Jesus and Matthew records a whole chapter. The whole chapter is in red. That means in my Bible that Jesus said all this stuff. The seven woes on the Pharisees and the scribes. Take time to read that list. Let me just read the six verses, first six verses, and compare it to the way Jesus came and how he served and what these religious leaders, who were supposed to honor God and live for God, lived. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Whoa. <laughs> Let's not take time to think about that. That's uncomfortable. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And Jesus goes on, and then there's seven woes. Verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say da 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 and it goes on and on. I won't take time to read the whole chapter, but I'm just saying, think about this. Proverbs 6 tells us seven things that God hates. Jesus uh, called these spiritual leaders, these supposed to be shepherds of God's glory, to account in public and they heard the truth of God, and they refused it. Ananias and his friends are a picture or a parable of what happens when we ignore God's truth, or when we just pick and choose what we like. When God's not feared, the truth of God gets muddled. It gets unclear. It gets compromised. It gets political. It doesn't redeem. It divides. You know, it's really easy to pick on Annas because he's so bad. It's kind of like Hitler. <laughs> you know, he's always used as this terrible example because he was a bad example. But Ananias is one and all his friends, wicked Ananias. But let's remember who we are who we were without Christ, just so we don't get proud or hypocritical and not practice what we preach. 
in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul reminds us of who he was, who we are, who Ananias was without God. In verse chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in, a trespass, in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. Among them we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like Ananias, We needed reformation. We needed restoration. We needed transformation. We needed a new life. We needed a new heart. We needed a new mindset. And that's what Jesus came to do. But we were all in that place. Paul goes on in chapter 2 of Ephesians, but God, there it is, but God, the great but God, (laughs) being rich in mercy, Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship. This is God's work. I promise not to harp here. USA Christians, please, 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 let's be careful that we do not foolishly pursue political power to change society that is walking away to destruction. Yes, use your liberties to do good, to speak good, to speak the truth, but never forget it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change the mind and hearts of lost people that was me, that was you. So that we live differently, think differently, act differently. It's only the gospel, it's the work of God. It's only the spirit of God that can create lasting impact on a person and change their life. And then a family, and then a neighborhood, and a school, and a town, and a city, and a nation. It's only the gospel. You see, Jesus told us it's the gospel that transforms his truth. It's the gospel of Christ that unites hearts, that makes us love one another even though we're so different. It's the gospel that brings peace into your life, your own life, and then into the lives of others when there's justice and grace and mercy and forgiveness and then a change of living the truth and being honest and fair and loving and kind. (laughs) Our world needs to hear that. Jesus said that's to be my major concern, to preach the gospel. Let's make sure it is. In all the political turmoil that's going on in our society right now, in all the pandemic restraints, 
and all your personal troubles, just regular stuff that comes at us in life because we're human beings in a fallen world and it isn't always pretty, just remember in this tangled mess, Jesus Christ untangles it. Slowly but surely, he begins to change us. How we look at life and view life and we can be strong for Christ because it's all about his power and his might. So believe in him. I need to move on. Three people, three stories. Ananias reminds us of the uncomfortable truth that we're all in bondage to sin and there's only one person, only one God that can change that. And people need to hear that. You need to believe that and embrace it and follow him so that others can embrace it and follow him. Ananias was a godless and he didn't care. So just be sure you're not pretending to be religious, but really not. And if you are in Christ, then let's begin to act like Jesus would, not like the Pharisees and scribes did, raising themselves up, but being humble and serving. There's a second uncomfortable truth, that freedom comes when we die to self. That's Paul's story. So back in in, uh, Acts chapter 24, beginning at verse 10, The governor nodded at Paul, and Paul began to speak for himself. But we need to take a little pause here. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2, because Paul is on, on trial because of a change in his life. Jesus Christ had changed him. Remember, 20 or 25 years ago or so, Paul was just like Ananias. Don't miss that fact. Paul was acting 20 or 25 years earlier the exact way Ananias was. He thought he was serving God. He had a lot of power. He was religious, but he was actually an enemy of God. But now Paul was set free. And in Philippians chapter 2, this is just one of the places, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul gives this testimony. Look out for the dogs. He's speaking of those who would would teach that there's Jesus plus something else you need to do. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are all the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Just like he said in Ephesians, it's not by work so that no one can boast. We can put no confidence in the flesh. It's all about what Christ has done for us. And verse 4, he goes on, though, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reasons for confidence, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am the people of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless, but whatever I gained, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything lost because of the surpassing surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith." That's the before and after testimony of the Apostle Paul. He's confronting him, you know, with his testimony. He's just telling us, look, 
I'm a changed man. And it's all because of not who I am, because of who Jesus Christ is. Tertullus, or Tertullus, whatever it is, Scott. <laughs> um, he was this really sharp lawyer. Ananias, the high priest, got the best lawyer he could find in the business. And they traveled 65 or 70 miles, and it says five days later. So this, they wanted to get this settled about Paul because they hated Paul because Paul preached Jesus Christ, and they hated Jesus Christ. Ananias, the high priest, did. A long line of a family who hated God and his Savior, his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they wanted to get rid of this man. And he was this lawyer guy that they hired. He was good. And now it might sound like he was trying to flatter Felix. I mean, take, take a look at, at, at some of the things he said. Since, though, in, in verse uh, 2, since through you we enjoy much peace and and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and in everywhere, we accept us with all gratitude. The Jews did not accept us with all gratitude, but he's buttering them up. But he fought this through because he knew Felix, by the way, was a slave who had bought his freedom and raised to power through Rome through his connections. He was a self-made man rose to power and kind of like a good United States American, this is a personal success story. Pulled himself up by his bootstraps. But he was a people pleaser. He was a ruthless ruler. There were a lot of national rising in Israel at this time and he put them down hard. He didn't care about the truth. He just wanted to keep Rome happy and if it, and if it served his purposes, he would keep the Jews happy and he played the game back and forth. Ruthless. Political expediency over justice. Tertullus was a good lawyer and he chose well-chosen words. This man's a plague. He called Paul a plague. He called him COVID-19. He called him something you don't want to be around. He causes right. He stirs up trouble. He was in the temple. He was profaning it. Well, he wasn't. But he used all those terms so that Felix would hear that and say, oh, this guy must be bad. He wanted to turn the tables on Paul so Felix would be prone to condemn without really knowing or hearing the truth. And Paul gave his defense. Paul won the argument. The charges can't be proved. There were Jews from Asia that were mad at me. They should be here if that's what you want to know the truth. The Sanhedrin, remember in chapter 23, couldn't come up with clear charges because Paul was smart enough to divide the Sadducees and the Pharisees over the resurrection. So, so they couldn't come up with clear charges. And now they're trying to accuse me of things Rome, by the way, doesn't care about Christianity or, as they called it, the way. It's not a threat to them. It's a, it's a sect. It's, it's Jewish belief, the truth, Paul would say, about Jesus Christ. It's just what we believe. It's a religious thing, not a political thing. Paul declares that his conscience is clear before God and for people. Felix agreed. 
at the end of the reading that Scott did in verse 21. It says, in ver excuse me, verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. I just want to point a couple things out about Paul. He outfought his opponents. Now, that word scares me because I can't outthink anybody. <laughs> and maybe you feel that way, too. But I want you to know something. There are people that God has gifted that can outthink or have good arguments, and we need to learn from them and study them and be equipped. The Holy Spirit will help us learn how to speak to our culture, but that doesn't mean we don't have to do some work or think through some things. Paul won this hearing how? Because he, he, he was logical and he told the truth. He was speaking the truth. He had nothing to cover. He wasn't stirring up trouble. He wasn't uh, making the temple impure by his presence there or the way he approached it. He was a servant of the living God. And there are resources to help us think and to speak well and become a student of them. And I would just say this. Ministry leaders at Grace Chapel, teachers, we need to learn, we need to equip and provide the training so that our congregation can go out and live well. And by the way, fruitfulness on the front lines. If you haven't joined that class, you ought to just come. Come and be encouraged to know how to live and to speak into our culture. Five points. We just had training there. Let's take advantage of those things. I want to tell you something. I know this is an ad. Life groups can help you live well out on your front lines in the world by coming together and being encouraged. So join up and help one another live better for Christ. Take a step that will help you grow in your faith. We not only need to outthink our opponents, but we need to outlive those who would oppose the gospel. And that's where Paul won super duper hands down. Outliving others is something we can all do. Outliving others starts with the uncomfortable truth that we're not free to live for Christ fully until we fully live for Christ. Jesus said it that way. Well, he didn't say it that way. He said it like this. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Boy, that's uncomfortable. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How convinced are you this morning that that's true? Here's another thing Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. That's uncomfortable truth. Don't be intimidated by Paul's Verses in Philippians again, chapter 3. 
Here's what else Paul said after his testimony about who he was before Christ and afterwards. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the life. I want to know Christ. How well do you know Jesus? You know, there's always more to learn, isn't there? To know his heart. To know his passion for the lost. To know what he suffered to know what he cares about you, how he thinks about you, to learn about your God and who he is because he is the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the good shepherd. He's the redeemer. He's the friend of sinners. And he alone became Paul's passion. Paul was a student of his God and his Savior, and because he was a student of his God and his Savior, he could outlive those who opposed the gospel because he was following Jesus' way. And we know that Jesus wins. He's won the cause. He always wins the cause, and he's coming back victorious, so let's get in step with him. Know Jesus He was convinced, Paul was convinced that Jesus was worth losing everything for in this world, even his life. I'm not ashamed of the cross of Christ or to follow Christ. And I just hear in my own mind when I say this to you, when I studied it this week and thought about it, yeah, Paul, that's you, but I can never be like you. I'm so weak. I'm not as smart. Kudos to you. And all Jesus wants us to do is say, help. Help me be more the person, the man, the woman that you want me to be, that you've created me to be, that you died for me to be, that you're leading me to, to be less hesitant to obey you, to dare to live for you. When did I start? (laughs) I'm asking an honest question. How much more time? (laughs) I don't want to keep you here too much longer. But I want to take a moment, and I want you to think about that. How can we outlive people we know who do not know Christ's greatness yet? How can we live smarter? I want you to know the word evangelical is a dirty word now. Some of that's unfairly put on us evangelicals. But sad to say, some of it is deserved, this bad reputation. Do you know what the word evangelical means? It's from the Greek euangelion, good news. Evangelicals are to be messengers of good news. What's the good news? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for sinners so that they could live with God forever. So if people get upset with us or with me or with you, it should be about not the foolish thing we said or the rude thing we said or the unkindness we did, although we're going to do those things, but they should be mostly upset because we declare the truth of Jesus Christ. 
That's what should get them upset. That's what Ananias was upset about. The truth that was exposing him made him uncomfortable, and he hated it. I'd like you to take a second. I'll give you two minutes. But first, I want to read 1 Peter. How should we live? Chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Listen to what Peter tells us. Beloved, I urge you as a sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Be subjects of the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So, take two minutes. Think to yourself or talk with somebody near you and say, how can I live better? Think about some ways to live honorably among where you work, where you live, where you play, whatever you do. Think about that for a second and talk about it. What's a way to honor God? Peter gave us some clues there. What are you going to do? Make some noise. How can you honor God better? Some of you people in the front fruitfulness on the front lines, you have a head start on this. Talk about it real quick. What are some practical ways to honor God that we can honor God? Okay, I'm going to have to interrupt. <laughs> but we're going to pick this up at the end of the service. There's one more uncomfortable truth. There's the uncomfortable truth that Ananias reminds us of. His story reminds us that we all need Christ. And without Christ, we are bent toward evil. We are sinful. We are unholy. We're godless. And we need God to come in and change us, to, to renew our thinking to renew our souls so that we pursue after the holy things of God. That's where Jesus, what Jesus came to do, to change us, to transform us. Another uncomfortable truth is this, that like Paul, unless we die to self, we cannot bear the fruit that God intends for us. So we need to die to ourselves. Our will needs to surrender to God's will. And that's an uncomfortable truth. 
that we wrestle with as believers. And the third truth is this. It's perilous to ignore Jesus Christ. And Felix points that out to us. Look at verse 24 of Acts 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned, that is, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At that same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Wow. Felix had, an ama- had a good knowledge of the way. He had a good knowledge of what Christianity was, what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And he had Paul come in and speak to him. He treated Paul well. You can read about that in verse 23. But he delayed justice for Paul. Why? Money. He just wanted power and money. It's what he pursued in life. He had treasure on earth and nothing for him was waiting for him in heaven because of his lack of faith. Paul talked to him about righteousness. The gospel talks about righteousness and our lack of it. And it tells us of our great need. And nobody likes to be told that they need righteousness, that they're unrighteous. Just remember the angry husband at the beginning of our story with Howard Hendricks. The gospel makes us uncomfortable. It talks about self-control. It means putting God above our own desires. And we rebel against that idea. This is my life. I can do with it what I want. Well, not really. God made you and created you for better things. You should surrender and humble yourself to his way. And talk of judgment. Well, in unbelief, we say, ah, that's never going to happen. But the truth is, deep in our hearts, I think all humanity is afraid to die because of what they are afraid they're going to face before their creator. And the gospel tells us the happy news that Jesus took on our judgment so we do not have to fear death. Felix heard it. He was curious, but he never embraced it. He was afraid to humble himself. It's perilous to put it off. His heart got hard. And it seems like the story ends with the fact that he never believed even though there he was hearing the Apostle Paul teaching and helping him understand it. It's no accident that Luke puts Ananias and Paul and Felix together in chapter 24. There's a lot of reasons why he did that. It's history, but the point that we can take from it is one of the points is this. (laughs) Faith in Jesus Christ sets us free. Do you want to be free from fear of judgment? trust in Christ. You want to be free of having unrighteousness and and the lack of self-control ruin your life and hurt people around you who love you? Jesus can set you free. He'll come alongside you when you believe in him and help you through his word, through his truth, through his spirit, through his people to overcome those things. It's a process. It's a walk of faith. Judgment is on the horizon. And all of us are going to live 
All of us who are alive are going to stand before Christ and be judged. Don't be like godless Ananias. Don't ignore Christ like Felix. Embrace Jesus Christ like the apostle Paul did. He died to self, and he's alive now in his presence, and he's still speaking because he has touched my life with his truth, with his testimony, with his words that God gave him to write so that we could follow God. He is bearing fruit still, and our lives will do the same, whether we can see it or not, because God is at work in us for all who believe. Let's pray. Spirit of God, I ask you to fall fresh on us and do a mighty work so that we can live in ways that will honor you, that will uh, bring the gospel out in all its fullness and beauty. And we know some people are going to hate it, despise it, or ignore it, be afraid of it, but others, Lord, will embrace it. Please use us to call your children, those who have not yet believed but that will. Use us, Lord, to bring glory to your name. Do this so your great love and compassion is seen. We pray this for your honor and glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.